0: salvation. Again, we thank you for your goodness, your presence, and your salvation. Speak to our hearts today. We invite you in. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would deal with our hearts, that you would comfort hearts that need to be comforted, that you would put broken hearts back together, that you would have your way, Father, so we can move forward with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to say a phrase, and I'm going to ask and expect you to respond, respond accordingly. Okay? Testing, one, two, three. Testing, one, two, three. Okay, I'm going to say a phrase, and then I'm going to invite you to respond accordingly. Okay? Okay, well, I am on. All right. God is good. All the time. All the time. That's pretty good. Let's do it again. God is good. All the time. All right. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? What about when you don't have enough money to reach the end of the month? Good. What if your car breaks down and you're on your way to a very important meeting or a job interview and your car breaks down? What if you get laid off from a job you've been working for 25 years with no logical explanation? What if I heard the story, heard the story yesterday from a pastor's wife who shared with me the story of a father and son um, doing target practice in their backyard, and their four-year-old daughter snuck out and made her way around behind the targets, and the father shot her and killed her. God's still good. But is God still good? Have you ever heard statements or maybe said statements? God took him for a reason. Or God took her because He needed another angel in heaven with him. Where everything happens for a reason, God doesn't make mistakes. God has a plan anybody ever heard any of those statements anybody ever used any of those You don't need to say anything you know I believe that when people make these statements they are sincere in their attempt to bring comfort to someone who's going through an extremely tragic situation that may be very hard to understand But I want to submit to you that I believe that we have to be extremely careful that we are not trying to bring comfort at the expense of God's character and his truth. We must make sure that what we share in those times lines up with God's word and his character or we can find ourselves doing long-term damage at the expense of short-term comfort. Me think about it. If you were the mother of that little four-year-old girl who was just killed accidentally by your husband, and someone came to you and says, It's okay, God needed another angel with him in heaven. Or God doesn't make mistakes, God took her for a reason, God has a plan. You know, all those things is now is that going to cause you to draw closer to God? But we hear those things all the time in a very crucial moment in someone's life. You know, when we hear statements like that in that situation, it will typically long-term produce one of two responses. You will either flat out reject and move totally away from God outwardly and inwardly because you no longer trust him. It's like, how could God do that to my daughter or my son? Or you will continue to go through the religious emotions outwardly, but inside you've walled your heart off from God because you don't trust him and you don't even like him. I just want to say, first of all, that those kind of statements, first of all, they're not true. And second of all, they don't bring comfort to people who are grieving the loss of, the loss of a loved one. I believe the Bible teaches and demonstrates the goodness of God, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Look at God, the Father, and Jesus in the Bible. You know, I used to think, I used to see God as when you read the Old Testament, and I happen to be reading the Old Testament right now, but I remember when I used to read the Old Testament, and you just see God telling his people to wipe out entire civilizations. When you see crazy things that are hard to understand. You see, it happen. I used to think God was pretty mean. Anybody else ever have those thoughts? I mean, it's like, God, what in the world are you talking about? Women and children, innocent little babies too? I think, man, God, he was pretty mean. He was pretty scary. And then we come into the New Testament, and God has a kid, and he becomes happy. That's how I used to see it. And then we look at Jesus. And you know, I was talking to my wife about this either last night or this morning. I said, you know, even a non-believer, their opinion of Jesus, whether they believe he's deity or not, we all have to acknowledge that he existed because he's a true historical figure. But even a non-believer would agree that Jesus was a good man. He was good. We look at Jesus and we see the epitome of goodness. And when we see what he did, the people he healed, how he touched lives, how he broke tradition, he went through cultural, he obliterated cultural standards and norms and everything to do things that he wasn't supposed to do. Talking to various women, ministering to them, changing their lives, touching a leper. He did all kinds of crazy and wonderful things. Showing who he was. Expressing his character. And sometimes it's hard to reconcile it to us like, man, God is pretty mean, but Jesus, man, he's, yeah, he's cool. And sometimes because of our belief system, we can have a relationship with Jesus, but we have a hard time having a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Am I making sense to anybody in here this morning? Hebrews 1.3 in the New American Standard says, And he, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, of God's glory, and the exact representation of God's nature. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Another translation says, The sun reflects God's own glory, and everything about him represents God exactly. Do you hear that? Jesus represents God exactly. Colossians 1.15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before God made anything at all and is supreme over all creation. The first part again, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you see me, then you've seen who? Jesus said, I only do What I see, my. I only say, what I hear, my father. God is good. Just want that to soak in. Because I had a hard time with this in the past. But I'm beginning to see things differently, not just recently, but more and more, that God is really good. And you know, it's funny because now, compared to my view before, now when I read the Old Testament, which I happen to be reading right now, I see the mercy of God all over the place. And sometimes I get mad at God because it's like, God, they repented for the thousands times. You're going to let them get away with it again. You're going to forgive them again. Come on, God. Come on now. I'm going to find myself wrestling because these Israelites, they're, they're knuckleheads. It's like, God, come on. I'm reading Jeremiah right now. Pretty strong book. And there's some serious judgment going down. But he's like, he says, if you would only turn away, if you would only repent And one thing I'm learning, too, as I draw close to God, as I'm drawing closer to him and and getting a little more glimpse of his holiness and begin to see things in light of that, then I realize how merciful he is because it's like, man, we all deserve to be wiped out. If he just responded with his holiness alone, we wouldn't have a chance. At all. And I'm beginning to understand more and more why in the Old Testament whole civilizations had to be wiped out. Acts 10 verse 38, it says, talking about Jesus again, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That used to be one of my favorite verses, and now it's one of my really, really favorite verses. And here's why I discovered this yesterday. You know, this kind of sums up what we see Jesus doing in the the New Testament. It says how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. That kind of summed up what he did, what he was about. I mean, he went about healing everybody, all kinds of stuff. And show me anywhere when somebody came to Jesus and he turned them away, that they weren't healed or delivered. Any example. Any example. You know, in John, I believe it's chapter 20, it's somewhere in there, I forgot to look it up, but at the end of John, it says something to the effect of that Jesus did so many things, I'm paraphrasing, he did so many miracles and so many wonderful things that all the books in the world couldn't contain all that he did. Anybody familiar with that verse, that passage? So he did a lot of stuff. We would agree with that, right? And in all that he did, there was never an example of someone coming to him and he didn't heal them. The reason why this is becoming my really, really, really favorite verse is not only because it, it, it captures everything about Jesus... But it shows that the whole Trinity is involved, was involved in that process. It says how God, the Father, anointed Jesus, the Son of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And all three of them got together, and what did they do? They went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. All three together in that to me, that's amazing. God is truly good. Jesus said in John 10 10 and 11, he says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So when we see Jesus, we see the Father. God didn't change. He was in a bad mood and all of a sudden he's in a good mood because he had a kid. That's not what happened. Because of Jesus coming and doing what he did, sacrificing himself, a new covenant was established and it opened up a whole new realm of the way that God is able to interact with us because of Jesus. Because he's good. To better understand, appreciate, and believe in the goodness of God, we must understand three things. A few days ago, as I was asking the Lord what he would have me share, and I thought I was thinking it was going to be something else, and so in my mind I was beginning to think and prepare, and he interrupted my program, and he says, I want you to share on the goodness of God. I want you to declare the goodness of God. I said, okay. So shifted in mind, and this was before Joshua Tovar passed away. So I didn't realize that I was going to be sharing this topic in the midst of this situation. Because my true expectation was that he was going to be healed. That's why I believe the Lord sent me to Nashville. I flew out on Sunday, laid hands on Josh, flew back Monday. I went to join myself with Todd and his family with Todd. Todd was already out there. We had a wonderful time of prayer with Joshua. He was very alert, interacting, talking, quoting scripture. It was amazing. And my expectation was that he was going to be healed. And ultimately, he was. I guarantee you, he's not having any more problems. But mine and our expectation, Todd and his family, our expectation was that a miracle would happen and he would get up out of that bed. You know, so it's easy to to proclaim God is good when circumstances are good. You know, if you get a raise or you get a new job or you get a bonus or you get whatever wonderful blessings that come our way, praise God, he is good. What about when your car breaks down? You talk to your mechanic and he says, hey, that's going to be $675 for parts. Boom. And then I told my mechanic, I said, I had to pay $100 for my battery. Actually, when he was texting me back the price, I was sitting in Walmart buying a $100 battery for my other vehicle. And he made the comment, something about, you know, when it rains, you know, one of those typical things of when trials come in like a flood. And I said, yep, God is good. And when I said that, it was not a religious statement to try to hype me up so I wouldn't be overwhelmed with discouragement. I truly believe that God is good, regardless of what I'm going through. And see, that's the problem a lot of times with us, is we allow our circumstances to to determine God's character towards us. If things are going good and I'm happy, God's a good God. If I'm going through some horrible, hard circumstances, God, what's wrong with you? I thought you loved me. Why have you forsaken me? God, you're not good right now. But God's character is constant. It doesn't change. It doesn't go up and down. He's not in a happy, good mood one day, and then he's in a bad mood the next day. I believe God's in a good mood all the time. He knows the outcome. In the end, it's going to be awesome. And why is this important? Why does God want us to deal with this? Because if you don't believe that God's a good God, then you will not move towards him. If you have an abusive parent, that goes off and you don't know what they're going to do you don't know they can be happy and nice and everything's okay and you kind of draw towards them and all of a sudden that that switch trips and man they're just abusive yelling hitting throwing things after a while it's like I'll stay right over here even if that one invite says, oh come on over here come here I'm good And we can begin to view God that way, and then what's going to happen is our shields are up, and God can only get so close. And we can still come to church, and we can still go through the motions, we can still say that God is good, we can still raise our hands, go through the outward motions, but inside, we're doing this to God. Because we really, in the core of our being, we really don't believe He's good. Because if He was good, then why would He do this? Or why would He allow this? Or why would God, why would God, why would God? And especially what confirms or what solidifies our thought process is when we hear, and I hear this all the time. I hear from believers and I hear from non-believers. Everything happens for a purpose. Everything happens for a purpose. And the interpretation, what they're meaning by that is God does everything for a reason. So everything that happens is God's will, or everything that happens, God's responsible for it. That's the interpretation that hits our soul. And so you have a child that was just shot and killed by accident, or you had a child that was hit by a car and gone just like that, and then you're told God doesn't make mistakes, everything happens for a reason, and you're supposed to have a relationship with this God. That's pretty difficult. My experience has been the more I'm getting to know him, the more I want to draw close to him. And I'm finding that when I'm going through difficult times, He's the one that I run to. I can't wait to get alone sometimes. If I'm frustrated or angry or, or just hurting or whatever, I can't wait to get alone with him so I can cry out to him because he's safe. And he's the one that is going to help me. Maybe not to understand the circumstances, but he's going to be reminding me, I'm going to be reminded of how good he is, how much he loves me, how he's for me, how he has my best best interest in mind. And then I can say, God, I don't even understand this circumstance, this situation, but I trust you. To better understand, appreciate, and believe in the goodness of God, we must understand three things. There's probably more, but I have three. And I'm not going to share all three today. I don't have any intentions of finishing this today. But the first thing I believe... We must understand, in order to believe in the goodness of God, is this. Everything that happens is not God's will. I'm going to say this again. Everything that happens is not God's will. Some of you may be having internal reactions right now, and that's okay. because maybe you've said everything happens for a reason and maybe you're under the belief that everything that does happens is God's will and I'm here to tell you that's not true in the beginning God created a man and a woman and he placed them in the garden and he said you have a choice between this and this do not choose that what do they do? They chose it anyway, didn't they? Was that God's will? Was it God's will for Adam and Eve to sin and choose what God told them not to? Was that His will? No, He said, do not do that. They chose that. We're experiencing that right now. God gave them a choice, He gives us a choice. We have a choice. And we don't always choose God's will. Everything that happens is not God's will. People make bad and wrong choices all the time. There are accidents. Jesus said, John chapter 16, I think I have it somewhere. John sixteen thirty three. I have told you this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples, there's going to be a lot of bad things. There's going to be some heavy, heavy heart, horrendous bad things. Is abortion God's will? Is murder God's will? We have a free will we get to choose sometimes i choose right sometimes i choose wrong when i choose wrong that was not god's will and so much so often the blame is put at the feet of god god did this god took your daughter You know, and it's interesting because I've heard people, and it's so funny. Well, it's not funny. Ironic is a better word. But maybe I'm just becoming more sensitive to this because I'm hearing it a lot. And my spirit inside would just begin to churn. It's like, man, this isn't right. And I've heard people say, God took her or him or, or the person because he needed another angel with him in heaven. I don't want to get into all of it, but first of all, we don't turn into angels when we go to heaven. Jesus doesn't teach that. Talk about that another time, but we don't turn into angels. And second of all, God is not lonely and needs somebody in heaven to be with him. Acts 17, 24 and 25, it says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs. Our hands don't serve his needs. For he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. God does not need us. He doesn't. He's not lonely, and he needs someone in heaven with him, so he kills someone, takes them off the earth to be with him. If my child was killed by accident, and you told me, well, God needed your son in heaven with him, that may sound comforting for the moment, but if I start dwelling on that, thinking, what? Why did you take my kid? Why don't you take somebody else's? And I have five more, so are you going to take the other five too? Can you see what I'm getting at? How in the world can I trust him? How can I draw close to him if that's my belief system? I sure hope I'm making sense this morning. And I know what I'm saying is not fun and easy. And I expect you to listen with your spirit and anything I say that does not line up with God's word, chunk it. You need to examine this for yourselves. You can't just take what I'm saying as the gospel. Unless it lines up with his word. I know this is some difficult things. And I struggled sharing this for several days. Even this morning, God up. like. But the end result is what I keep my eyes on. When we realize how good God is, we will want to draw close. And that's what my desire is, is for to draw close to him, for you to draw close to him. Everything that happens is not God's will. And I'm even going to say every person that dies is not dying according to God's will or plan. Every person that dies is not dying according to God's will or plan. Then what about Hebrews 9.27, which says, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. What about that? What about that? It's important that we don't take just one scripture and form a solid theological belief. we interpret that is typically interpret that is okay it's appointed unto man wants to die and then after that they face the judgment so we interpret that by meaning when it's your time to go it's your time to go or when someone dies it must been their, it must have been their time to go that's how we interpret that and that can't be true because of what else god's word says why would jesus resurrect lazarus Remember Lazarus was dead? If it was his appointed time to die, then why did Jesus get him up? Why did Jesus interrupt the funeral of the of the, the widow from Nain, I believe it was? Jesus had a, a bad habit of, of messing up funerals. I mean, think about it. If that scripture is what it means, if if in other words, there's more to it than that. Not only did Jesus raise people from the dead, but he told us to do the same thing. Years ago, I had lunch with a young man who, he, when he, I believe he was two years old. He fell out of a second-story window onto the sidewalk or concrete. He was dead. His father, I'm going to give you the short version. Basically, his father went and prayed for him and raised him back up. Took him to the hospital and everything. And they confirmed that he was dead for a certain period of time. Because of how they can do that medically. So the kid was dead. His father raised him back to life. And I had lunch with this young man. Like, did I touch you? And that happens a lot. And Jesus said to go and preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. But wait a minute unappointed unto man, wants to die, face God. Jesus says, raise the dead. Oh, I get it. Jesus and God are fighting amongst each other. God is bad, Jesus is good, and they're at war with one another. Is that right? That sounds pretty ludicrous, doesn't it? But some of our theologies make that happen. And not only that, but the Bible does talk about premature death. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine 29 and 30. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup unworthily, not honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some even have died prematurely. Judgment coming upon themselves. Apparently, they're dying before their time. They're dying before they were supposed to because of sin. The Bible does talk about there is a sin that leads to death. Also in... Ecclesiastes says, on the other hand, don't be too wicked either. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time? So the point is, is every person that dies is not dying according to God's will or plan. You see that. There are losing of jobs, cars breaking down, accidents, murders, sickness, death, suicide, etc. There's all kinds of horrible stuff that happens. But we can't lay this all at the feet of God. Now there are things that happen and I have no intention or no thought that I can explain everything. Because I can't and I don't even intend to try. There are things that happen that are a mystery that I have no idea. Why or what? And we will never know everything on this side. But I'm just saying we've got to quit blaming him for stuff that he's not doing. When I thought about this. I think it was the Holy Spirit. Kind of a neat thing. He said, want to see what it looks like when I take somebody? You know, when you hear God took your son, God took your daughter. Want to know what it looks like when I take somebody? His name was Enoch. His name was Elijah. God didn't kill him. Boom, gone. Not dead, just gone with God. One of them got a a party, a parade, a, a flaming chariot thing. That's pretty awesome. God doesn't need to use sickness to get us home, people. What about praying for people who are sick and believing God for their healing, but they stay sick or die anyway? Was that God's will for them not to be healed? That's a big one. Can you turn with me to Mark chapter 9? Mark chapter 9. Again, I want to encourage us to look at Jesus' example and his lifestyle. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus healed the leper. The leper said, I know you can, but if you want to, I'm paraphrasing, if you want to, you can make me whole. Jesus says, I want to. I will. And he touched him. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just said the word. But he touched him and healed him. And then right after that, it says that a, a centurion came and said, I have a servant at home, and he's sick, and he was given an this degree. And Jesus, before the guy even finished, Jesus got up and said, I will come heal him. He says, hey, no need for you to come all the way to my house, because I recognize who you are, your authority. Just say the word, and he'll be healed. People came up to him. The woman with the issue of blood came and just touched him. Didn't even ask permission, broke the law. Touched him, received her healing came to Jesus, heal me. What do you want? I want to be healed. I want to see. Boom. You got it. Every single person came, that came to Jesus received healing. Jesus is our example. He never gave an opportunity in his example. And he told his disciples, go into all the world and do and teach everything. I, you know, uh, make disciples, teaching them to observe everything. That I've taught you and commanded you. Jesus was the example. He even said to his disciples, as the Father sends me, so I send you. We're supposed to do what Jesus did. He is our example. Jesus had a 100% healing record. 100%. If there was any time for him to establish a very important doctrine, he had plenty of opportunities. He could have said to the leper, boom, you're healed. Centurion, I will come and heal him. Didn't have to. Okay, he's healed. He looks over across the path and sees this this young man over here, and, and he says, hey, Jesus, I want to be healed. He says, sorry, God put that on you to teach you some wonderful things so you can be more like me. That does not sound like the character of Jesus. But sometimes the theologies that we embrace I know what I'm sharing is pretty heavy. Take away the word pretty. I know it's heavy. Like I said, I struggled. I knew it was going to be difficult. But I'm trusting you to look to him, to read the word, and to say, God, what is your truth? I'm challenging you. Because I see these conflicts that we have in our brain. I see them as causing us to be double-minded our faith has been shot because we believe so many diverse things and we can't pray in faith. It's like, well, how do I not know God put this on this person to teach them? How do I not? So then what happens is, if I approach them, I'm already defeated because I don't know. But if I believe that God wants to heal them, then I can come confidently. And if I look at Jesus' example... That's what I see. Now, that not being my experience doesn't mean that I need to pull him down to my experience and build a theology out of my experience. Because what my mind wants to do is if I'm praying and believing for someone to be healed and they're not, and my mind's having a hard time wrapping around that reality, and then to make my mind be at peace, it does all this stuff and it adopts this stuff. That says, well, it must not be, or God didn't, or or all this kind of stuff, so I can be at peace. And then what happens is, because this is what's happened to me. When the next person I approach who has cancer or some life-killing disease, I'm already defeated because I bought into the lie that brought me comfort before. And I can't aggressively, in faith and confidence, minister to that person. That theology has not worked well for me at all. My point is, is I believe that if if there was a time, if, if that was supposed to be an important doctrine that Jesus wanted to establish as far as example of his healing, his desire or not to, he would have demonstrated that. And one time when the man was blind, and they said, well, because he sinned or his parents, he said, neither, it's so that God could be glorified. I'm paraphrasing. People say, aha, see? See, God made him sick or blind, so he can be glorified. Well, I don't know what to say about that except this. What was the end result? What was the end result? He was healed. A lot of times in our situations we're saying God did this, but the end result is they die or they stay sick. God is not glorified in that situation, not according to those that example. I mean you hear what I'm saying? Mark chapter 9. I may not get finished with this today. This part, I'm gonna start anyway. Verse 14. And when Jesus came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him, talking about Jesus. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing? Okay, then verse 17, then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, all this kind of stuff. And he says, "Um, so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So there's a man with a boy that's sick, has a problem, has a demonic spirit, actually. The man brought the boy to the disciples, who, by the way, in the past had healed the sick, had cast out demons, had done that kind of thing, had done that effectively, and right here, for whatever reason, they're not able to. He said, I brought my boy to your disciples, and they could not heal him. Right there, we stop we stopped the story right there and say, aha, see? those were men of God with Jesus who were given the authority to heal and cast out demons and they couldn't get it done, it must not have been God's will for that boy to be healed. That would be the logical conclusion if that's where the story ended. But Jesus had a different reaction. He answered and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Right there, Jesus could have said, "God has a purpose in this. God's good, not going to heal him because of this, etc., etc., etc." He rebuked his disciples. "You unbelieving," says faithless, but in uh, says unbelieving in the notes. He rebuked his disciples. They couldn't get it done. They brought the boy to Jesus. He got him healed. Obviously, it was God's will for him to be healed. Do you see that? Because it happened. And then he says, let's see. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running to go, okay, then he rebuked. He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but I'm doubting. Greg did a wonderful job last Wednesday of explaining how both conditions can be in a person at the same time. How you can believe and doubt at the same time. I believe, but I'm doubting. And I believe that's the situation that a lot of us are in. That's the situation I find myself in. I believe, but I'm doubting. There's a double-mindedness there. I'd encourage you to listen to that if it's on the website, to listen to last Wednesday's sermon, uh, Bible study. So this man had belief And doubt at the same time. Jesus healed the boy. In verse 28. And when he had come into the house. His disciples asked him privately. Why could we not cast it out? He said to them. This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. In another uh, story. I believe it's in Matthew or Luke. It says. Because of your doubt and unbelief. And then he went on to say. This kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, here's the thing that I believe the Lord is showing me. And this is what I'm taking on myself. I just want to submit it to you. And this encourages me. Because I see the state that I'm in. The disciples were effective at one time. And then in this situation, they were not effective. It has something to do with doubt and unbelief. But if you look in the book of Acts, the disciples were very effective. You know, shadows. Passing people, people getting healed. I mean, crazy type stuff. To me, this is a picture where the disciples could not get it done for whatever reason. Well, doubt and unbelief. That's a picture of where I believe I am. But in the book of Acts, we see where the disciples moved to. They moved to a closer representation of Jesus because Jesus was 100% in healing. Remember that. The disciples moved from ineffectiveness to effectiveness, they became more effective. And I believe he's saying to me, I can do the same thing. I do not have to stay where I'm at. But I can become more effective. I have to deal with the doubt and unbelief. You know, I, you know I'm a, I think I'm a sociologist by nature. In other words, I observe, I examine, I, I study, I watch, and, and I read God's word, and, and I watch things, and it's like, something's not right. It's, it's not lining up with truth. It's not lining up with truth. Therefore, this has to go. I have to embrace truth. And I look at our circumstances. I can't tell you, from my position being a pastor, I can't tell you how many friends that I've buried who died of cancer. I mean close friends. And we prayed in all those circumstances. We prayed for those people to be raised up to be healed. None of them did. So question. Was it God's will for all of them, all of them to die with that cancer? When I look at Jesus' example, I can't see that. If it had been 10, let's say 10 of our friends, I don't know how many, I didn't count, but let's say 10, and we prayed and, and nine of them raised and healed and one of them didn't, that'd be a mystery. It's like, okay, I don't understand why that didn't happen. But in our case, it's none that cannot be God's will. I will not settle with that being God's will. I just can't do it. I'm not content with that. I'm not at peace with that. Now, the peace that I do have, that every single one of my friends... And many of you know them. They are with Jesus. There's no doubt about that. They're not upset. They're not sad. None of that's the case. But I do not believe that that's the way they had to go. And also, as I study and look at it, I know there are Environments, communities, and I'm talking about Christians, believers, where statistically, they have a better track record when it comes to healing, specifically cancer. Where they may have a 50 or 60% success rate as far as people they pray for with cancer, they get healed. I mean, I read all kinds of testimonies of people getting healed over and over and over. Or people having these crazy... Um. operations and they have all this metal in their body and then they get prayed for and all of a sudden the metal disappears and they're totally healed, metal gone to me that represents more of Jesus' character now the thing when people say well was everybody supposed to be healed I'm not going to answer that I have my opinion, but I'm not going to answer that. But i more supposed to be healed than what we're seeing? Yes. Yes. Now, here's why I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm not finished with this topic, but I'm going to end with this. First of all, every person that I'm thinking about is with Jesus. Thank God for that. This is what I'm also encouraged with. The level of doubt and unbelief that exists in my being doesn't have to stay there. The level of ineffectiveness that I'm experiencing right now doesn't have to stay that way. There were times when I had a greater success rate of laying hands on people and seeing them healed. But then things happened, circumstances, praying for people, they didn't get healed. My mind started messing with me and started embracing stuff to make me feel better. And then it caused me to back off. It caused all kinds of stuff. And how that's working for me, not too good. But here's how I feel Jesus encouraging me Come on, son. Come on. Let's go. Become more like me. I say yes, yes. I'm not condemned. I'm not coming under condemnation, and that's not the message that is being shared today at all. The message is God is really good. All done. Let's stand. going to ask the ministry team to come up, including you. We're going to be talking more about this next week. Well, I'll be talking and you'll be listening. But earlier as I was praying before we started, some of you have some things going on in your heart that's causing you to have a hard time embracing God, moving towards him. And I was asking you to Allow him to deal with that, to help. So if you find yourself stuck or you're battling or you just want God, you just want whatever. It didn't have to be that. I just want to invite you to come and, and let let these guys love on you and just minister to you. But I do want you to go home with this. God is good. He loves you. He has your best interest in mind. Even when we don't understand, when things happen, Horrible things happen, and we don't understand why or for whatever, he's still good. And if you can just grab a hold of that and say, God, I don't understand. I hate this. I hate you right now. I'm angry with you. Please understand, God can take that, okay? You don't have to be fake with him. You can come to him with your real emotions, and he's saying, come. He will help you. He doesn't want you to hold on to that pain and that hurt and that stuff that's eating your heart away. He wants you to know, loves you. He's good. So, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Help us, Father. Help our hearts and our minds to trust you, to move towards you, to allow you to deal with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. We thank you, In Jesus' name. Amen.